0: Listening to the voices behind women's cricket chat. That's Alex, Hannah, Georgie, and Cassie. Coming up on the podcast today, we've got none other than legendary broadcaster Charles Dagnall. If you don't know who Charles Dagnall is, you need to. He is such an advocate for the women's game, he loves the women's game. And we talked to Charles about all things women's cricket and why people are mistaken his glasses for sunglasses.
1: Right, so joining us today, we have legendary broadcaster Charles Dagnall, a.k.a. Daggers. We'll go with that one. You can't see it on a podcast today, but rocking the sunglasses, we've seen so much of this summer across all formats, T20, we've seen the 100, it's the women's game. It's just, it's been a bit of a bumper summer for women's cricket and you, Charles, have been at the forefront of it all. So how has this summer been for you?
2: well firstly thank you for, for getting me on your podcast it's a delight to be here can i just stress first that these are not sunglasses these are my actual prescription normal glasses the story basically goes uh, so for those who obviously you can't see because it's an audio podcast but i'm wearing my yellow tinted spectacles which i've been wearing throughout the course of the summer so i went into a well-known high street opticians the ones where they help you see quickly and uh, not the ones that help you see and save money and basically they said to, so I, I wanted a sort of a, a kind of aviator retro rim sort of thing because that's that's sort of me in a nutshell retro and they said uh, the, the girl said to me um do you want a tint i don't know what you mean she said do you want a tint on your glasses i went what do you got so she showed me this board full of tints and they were, they were wicked, all sorts of different colours. I'm oh, they're quite fun. I'll tell you what, I'll have this yellow one, right? Now, trust me, the yellow on the board did not replicate in the yellow that I've actually got. It was more like a breath of yellow, a hint of yellow, as opposed to this blaring yellow that I've got now. So anyway, I needed the glasses because there was they were... Uh, prescription so i needed to wear them and i'm like i can't get away with this i can't get away with this on tv i'm surely not but i've got to be able to see and i couldn't sort of say can you replace them because i needed them for that following day kind of thing so um they are actually as many people have said all oh, the sunglasses they are actually my day-to-day glasses now there are, now there's a couple of things to this one is that i i quite like them they look quite cool and they do look retro the downside is that everybody looks like they've got liver disease to me everyone looks jaundiced so i was actually doing a game down at lord's i was doing middlesex versus surrey in the t20 blast and for some reason middlesex i think for a charity were wearing green shirts but owen morgan had sort of ripped his or marked his or something like that and wore his normal pink Middlesex one, and I'm on air and said, "Oh, yeah, you know, I wonder why Owen Morgan's wearing a yellow shirt." And as it turned out, it wasn't yellow, but my glasses had made them yellow. So that's the only uh, slight downside. But yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm sure <laughs> I might get a different colour for next year because they have caused a little bit of a reaction. But they are my prescription glasses, so I wanted to sort of get that sort of down pat before we before we kick off. So they are not sunglasses. They are tinted prescription glasses and there we go they have (laughs) it's amazing actually i was at the charlotte's edwards cup on sunday just gone but i was at the charlotte's edwards cup and i walked around to get myself a, a bottle of diet coke of which is my standard drink i come with a bottle of diet coke everywhere i go and i was walking around and loads of people did stop me just like kids and and stuff like that parents and it was lovely and just got chatting chatting to a few and and um had a few photos and stuff it was absolutely lovely really really nice had i not been wearing my glasses i don't think i would have got stopped genuinely i think it's it's one of those things where they sort of have, have become part of of me this summer not that i wanted that in any way shape or form but because because I've had a chance to get either replacements or, or a different pair or whatever. So it's nice in that way. I'm sure many people think they look ridiculous, but I don't care. They help me see. So that's good, I think.
1: The yellow tint, I could say, will now be synonymous <coughs> with summer 2021. So perhaps we will have to have a different colour. every yeah. Maybe you could wear yeah. them for the same... The colour of the team that won the women's hundred. The year before, so next year you can have a nice little oval, invincible tint color—a
2: sort of mint tint. A yes. Mint
1: tint. I like a that. Mint
2: tint. Could do so that yes. sort of a turquoisey, aquary kind of kind of tint. I've got to basically find out what they do. I have no doubt that I will be stupid around about April and decide, yeah, do you know what? That's a really good idea. I'm going to get a different tint to my glasses and have a couple of pairs. But we shall wait and see. But for now, this is what I've got. Yes.
1: So without the yellow-tinted prescription glasses, you wouldn't have been able to witness what has been a phenomenal summer of cricket, especially for the women's game. We've had the inaugural Charlotte Edwards Cup, which we saw the final of this Sunday. We've got the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy still in contention. And we've also had the big one, the one we've all been waiting for, the hundred only a year later than originally planned. So what's mm. this summer been like for you? And what has it been like for women's cricket?
2: Well, from a personal point of view, I'm knackered. And that's in a good way. And and obviously, you've got to go back 12 months, 18 months to the pandemic. And the pandemic caused lots of problems for everybody in every single walk of life. But from a cricketing standpoint, we were denied Obviously, the new competition—we were denied the hundred. It had to be, as you mentioned, be done a year later. Women's cricket was all but wiped out. We managed to get five one-day international, uh, five T20 internationals against the West Indies at the last minute for the England women because their summer was completely decimated because of COVID. So, following on, they've sort of made up for it, you know, with the amount of cricket that has been played in 2021. And I actually think that this is something that we're going to get used to. And this is going to be a good thing because it's been chock-a-block. So from a personal standpoint, I've, like you mentioned, with Sky covering the T20 Blast, then covering the 100, the Women's International Summer, both India and currently uh, against New Zealand, and only a teeny tiny bit for the BBC covering the men's, men's ball games which I have to say were a bit rubbish, to be honest. They were not really competitive. Sri Lanka, Pakistan was better. But it has been busy. And from a personal standpoint, I needed it, you know, freelance broadcaster. And, and you know, when you're not working, you're not earning. And so I'd rather be knackered and have some money in the bank than tired, uh, than, you know, fresh and skint, if you like. So that's been a good thing that's just a personal standpoint. From a women's cricket perspective, I think we have tapped into or started to tap into a potential golden era. And let me explain that. For ages, I have been frustrated. Look, I love the game, you know I love the game. I love all formats of cricket, and you know there's so it's been very divisive, especially with the introduction of the hundred. You're either this or you're that. You know, you either like test cricket or you like short form cricket. You either like 50 over cricket and there's been no room for people who actually just like everything they like cricket. And look, I'm not that interested, if I'm honest, about the ramifications of what the 100 may mean for the men's game or for, for you know, it, that's not to do with me. That's nothing to do with me. You know, it plays out how it plays out. For the women's game, that's what I'm interested in because I think it would come so far and I think it was being held back in that the women only played one summer series. They played one summer series. It was either South Africa coming over or Australia coming over or India coming over or Pakistan or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm going to set these pros. these are, They've got to be playing more. You know, they're, they're getting paid reasonable money for an England contract. Well, I, rather than doing six week training camps in Loughborough, again, playing. Let's get some more teams over here. Let's get more cricket played because I want to see it. They want to play it. I want to see it. And that's a very selfish view, but I'm sure lots more people want to see the England women's team playing more series. So what we've had this year, we've had the India series of multi-format. We've got the New Zealand. Now, I would like to see that continue to have two series plus summer and sandwiched in between having the 100. So the England women can actually take part in the major domestic tournament. So that's, as regards scheduling, I think they've got it absolutely spot on. Personal perspective, I would like all series, international series, to be multi-format. I would like a test. I would like three T20s, like three one-day internationals. I think that works and works brilliantly in women's cricket. Now, then you have the 100, where the KSL was great. I loved, I loved the KSL. But it wasn't aligned. And I think that alignment has helped the women's game. So the two, the men's and the women's are aligned. If you're a Trent Rocket supporter, if you're an noble Invincible supporter, you support the team, the brand. And I think having the women's aligned with the men's creates more interest in the women's game. When the women's game, the first one the Invincible's originals game was live on TV as a standalone game, I think that has done more for the women's game than anything over the past 10 years, more. And it's not just that it was on spree to air, Uh, But I think it was the fact that it was the first domestic women's game. And I may be getting this wrong, but it was the first domestic women's game that I can remember. and and, And domestic is the key thing here that was shown to be, and we've been banging the drum about how great the women's game is, especially at the international level. What we then saw was the domestic standard and the domestic standard was good. It was good. It was a great product. It was a great pitch. There was what 12 13 14 000 people there witnessing the game it was a good television product people could say and then people turn around and went, wow this is really great and we're going yeah i know we've been saying it's really great would you please listen to us and there is a, a situation where if you don't see it you don't get it you don't understand how how good it, you know rather than average I have to say, average bloke on the street going, oh, can't be doing women's cricket, you know, or I'm not interested. they have turn around and go, oh, this is all right. And we've been going, yeah, no, we've been saying it's been all right for ages. And what this will now do. So I think it has been a summer which has finally got through to people that the women's game is not just great, but it's something that women can see that they want to be a part of, that they can go down and support. That it is a, a legitimate sport for them, and I don't think we have even tapped into anything close to the talent that could be out there potentially in the next six, seven years time. And I'm talking down the line here. It's going to be, a, it's going to take some time. But I think it has been a seminal summer for English women's cricket, and God, that's exciting. It's so exciting. You know, we see kids at 11 or 12 years old now, girls at 11 or 12 years old now, that we can look forward to seeing 10 days down. And it will be this moment, this summer, that inspired them to pick up a bat or a ball. And I think that's how important this summer has been. And I don't say that lightly. I think it has been vital and more important than any other summer for the women's game.
0: Yeah, and you obviously talked about the India series being a multi-format and the different formats of cricket. How important was it that the women actually got to play a test match? And how important do you think it is to help move the game forward to give more girls and women opportunities to play test cricket?
2: This is a really good question. And I sort of prescribe a little bit to Lydia Greenway's theory here. I'm a bit of a sucker for, for women's test cricket. And I would love to see them play more because, and I think the women want to play more. You speak to them, they want to play play test cricket because it does, as the name suggests, it does test you out as a player, much more so than T20 or one day cricket, 50 over cricket. Now, therein lies a problem. It's fine that that test cricket is played. And, you know, we saw and witnessed a fantastic test match at Bristol. Don't get me wrong, I've seen some blooming awful ones as well. You know, the one at North Sydney, my God, it was boring. Congratulations, Elise Perry, for getting 200. It was fantastic. It was played on a big, flat fart where no one could really take any wickets. One thing about the women's game is I I do have an opinion on it, and I, I will stand by my opinions. I'm more than happy for people to disagree. With with my opinions. But the only reason I have an opinion is that I'm passionate about it. I love it. I love watching it. I love seeing the girls perform. I love certain that's that's because I love the game. The problem lies in there is no domestic long form cricket. And how you get over this, I don't know because you're in a little bit of a you've got to balance it out. And at the moment, the best way to get more women involved in the game is through t20 is through club cricket through schools cricket and t20 cricket is a conduit to that then obviously 50 over cricket comes and then you know you can have a look at playing longer form form game what i would like to see maybe happen down the line it's not now is not the time to do that let's get this embedded let's get the 100 embedded let's get more women taking up the game, more money into the game. But I would like to see maybe two-day cricket. Now, I used to play two-day cricket in the minor counties, uh, and it was brilliant. I loved it. It was a fantastic format. Two innings, two-day cricket. So it's basically, in essence, a kind of two one-dayers back-to-back. But then that would allow women to perhaps build innings differently for bowlers to maybe work out uh, plans in a longer format, and, and I think that is a, a sort of, you know, it's a way of introducing longer format cricket in the women's game. We in the media can say, yeah, well, we, want more, we want more test match cricket. But if you don't play it that often or if you don't play longer format games, then tactically you're going to be a little naive, which I think is fair comment. And you're not necessarily going to get potentially the best product that you could now. You know, this test match that was played at Bristol, it was a stunning game of cricket. I mean, fabulous. The test match I watched, watched at Perth between England and Australia back in 2014, one of the best test matches I've ever seen. It was sensational. But what I will say is this, as a final note, is that I would like to see Sometimes, and you've got to understand where I'm coming from in this, sometimes the women's game needs help. And what do I mean by that? Well, and I'm not comparing it to the men's game. I'm thinking, I'm talking about genuine things. Pitches. Produce the best pitches. You get the best pitches, you get the best product, right? So don't create slow, flat farts. Rolled snot, basically, okay? Don't produce pitches like that. You're not going to get a good product. The other reason and the other thing that I will maintain the ball that is used in women's test match cricket, they use the kookaburra. It's the worst ball in history. Men's cricket don't use kookaburra balls in in this country. I know they use them in Australia, but the women's game, because of the 22 yard pitch is not, they don't bowl as quick, right? Women don't bowl as quick. They're bowling 70 mile an hour, 70 to 75 mile an hour with a -a kookaburra ball is not hard. Because the batters at that level are that good. So therefore, you've got to give bowlers some assistance. So you pick up the phone, you ring up Jukes, and you say, dear Jukes, can you make us a four and three quarter ounce ball, please? That swings, and it swings for 30 to 40 overs. And spinners, and it can can it seam as well. So then you're giving the ball, and then you're getting a fairer contest between bat and ball. Then you are getting a better product. So in my opinion, I would love to see a test every, the more you play, the better it's going to get, of course. But for me, get better cricket balls, get better pitches, and then you get a great product. So that's what I would like to see.
1: You mentioned those test matches against Australia, and the Ashes is obviously coming up this Christmas, and we haven't seen those Australian stars that were going to come over for the 100. And Australia have been ahead of the rest of the world for quite a while, it seemed, in the women's game. Do you think that the rest of the world is catching up and it's going to be a bumper series this Christmas?
2: Right, two questions there. Is the rest of the world catching up? No.
1: Why do you think that is?
2: money that's why you see australia you mentioned this australia have been have been leading the way england have followed shortly after and and it's brilliant but it needs money you've got to pump money into it there's only one problem and if i'm india i'm embarrassed that i've not got an indian women's premier league it's all set up it's set up for it you've got all the franchises and you do exactly what has happened in the hundred put the women on before the men you align them to the same franchises you get and India's men have been much better at promoting the Indian women's team than than the England men have. And everything is there. India have got all the money, money that would make Midas look poor. So they've got all the money. Why are you not pumping it into the women's game? Why? You've got the biggest population in the history of the world or whatever it is. You've got an enormous population and you've got enormous potential to actually lead the world in the women's game but you're not so whether it's a case of there is a lack of intent there's a lack of effort it seems that way to me show me that you care india about the women's game because they're good now imagine what would happen if they had a domestic structure that aligned to the indian premier league i mean the 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 world's their oyster so that's but that is three countries india england australia they have all the money now the reason how south africa have got as good as they have god knows and the reason why is that their boards south africa new zealand pakistan bangladesh the west indies their boards don't have the money that they can pump into the women's game they just don't if i am those boards the only way of getting money into the game is through the men's game it sells for bigger tv rights it it gets more people in the stadiums that is a fact you can't get away from that and if i'm their board of course with the small amount of money that i have i'm going to try and invest it into what brings some in but they're skint in comparison the boards are skint compared to england australia and india so what do you do Well, the ICC should be assisting. I think the ICC should be assisting those boards for the women's game. They should throw money at the women's game saying this pot here that we have got, because let's be honest, the ICC aren't skins, are they? They look after the global game. They should be seeing that three countries are going far and away and it could be very damaging to the game. If England take on Pakistan in a multi-format series right now, over here or over there, Pakistan will get pumped. They will, because England are better. Australia are better. India are better. Why? It's not it's not Pakistan's fault. They don't have as good a domestic structure. They don't have the money, facilities, contracts, professionalism. They just don't have it. Nor do South Africa. They get paid peanuts. Absolute peanuts. So the ICC, for me, how much they can do, I don't know. And look, I'm saying all of this without coming up with a formulative plan. But I'm sure there are people in the, you know, within those boards that you should get if the finance is made available. Doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much. But if you can try and inject money into the boards specifically designated for the women's game, then you will see a vast improvement in a short space of time. And that's what I think we all want. We all want to see competitive women's cricket. Now, I am sure that it is a lot more complicated than that. And it's very easy for me to bleat about it, sat on my sofa and being frustrated. But my only reason for for, for ranting is or seeing this is that you know, again, I love the game. You love the game. We want to see a better game. We want to see a better product. England have now got the 100. The Australians have the WBBL. It has improved them. It has brought money. Could they arguably be a standalone product? Yeah, they don't need to be, but they, they, they could be standalone product. I want to see India join suit, but I want to see money put in to these boards that specifically designated for the women's game to improve it, to improve it domestically. If you improve it domestically, the results will happen in the in the international game. As regards the Ashes, can't wait for it. It'll be fantastic. There's a lot to look forward to. And I think the two best sides in the world are going to go head to head in three formats. And, you know, Australia will be favourites. I have no doubt about that. But they are fun to watch. They're great to watch. I could watch Meg Lanning back all day and she probably will but you know it's i'm hugely looking forward to it i would love to get out there and watch it or be a part of the broadcast i'm not sure if you know what the form is and stuff but yeah can't wait for that it's a real yeah just dead good
1: (laughs) but sometimes you don't need a better adjective because the game shows it for itself and obviously you've been there for some of the landmark moments in the women's game over the last few years, we can't talk about women's cricket in England without that World Cup win in 2017 in front of a pack, Lords, which, what was it like to be involved in that? Because that must have just been a phenomenal experience, especially because everyone expected a team like Australia to be there in the final.
2: Yeah, well, I was there at Derby for the... Semi watching Harman Preet score that blistering 150, which was just such a devastating knock. I mean, it was it was an amazing knock, and I think it was if memory serves, you're asking now. I want to say it was Jess Cameron. I don't think it was Jess Cameron. Who the hell was it who nearly won it for Australia? Anyway, be that as it may, she almost won it for, for Australia or oh, gave them a chance. Anyway. So, England-India final. The final, actually, it wasn't a great game. You know, it was a relatively sluggish pitch. It was sort of, it meandered from for long periods. So, again, I, talk, I say it again, pitches, pitches, pitches. It wasn't a great pitch at Lord's. But what was noticeable were new, well, there was numerous things that were noticeable. I wanted to scream because there was, what, 27,000 people there. And they were packed around all the stands. What was empty? The pavilion. MCC members not being bothered to turn up. And that wound me up properly. It really did give me a sense of, oh, well, it's just the women's game. We're not going to bother. And I got that really, really bugged me. It grated on me that. This is an international World Cup final. England are involved. 24,000 people and you've not bothered to turn up for it. Now, nah, sorry, I'm not having that. That really annoyed me. So that was one thing. But on the positive side, what it felt like was it was a different noise at Lord's. It was one that I'd never heard before. It was rather than the sort of hum of a sort of test match that you get, it was almost like People's Sunday at Wimbledon where, you know, they don't usually open on a Sunday and they put cheap tickets out and and people are just so happy to be involved and be there. And that was what I got from Lord's on that day. People were just there because they've not experienced Lords and England are in a World Cup final, so they're absolutely buzzing. The noise and the cheer, when Anya got those wickets or started getting those wickets, the roar was a roar I'd never heard of Lords, ever. It was so basic and raw, the emotion of England picking up wickets and England being back in the game and England potentially winning a World Cup. It mattered not that it was the women's game. This is the weirdest thing. It was a roar for England, not a roar for England women. And there is a discernible difference. The gender completely went out of it. They were just supporting England. And that is the biggest victory of the day itself. It's a bit like when I went to watch the Ashes over in Australia, uh, the Women's Ashes. And people were not turning up to watch Australia's women. They were turning up to watch Australia. doesn't matter what the sport was or what the gender was. They'll turn up to support Australia. People were there to support England. And that is a shift, a major shift. And that was what another little moment in the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. England-Australia at Bristol. Remember that game? What was noticeable to me was that the English crowd started getting on the back of Australia. Now, you don't see that in the Women's Game. It's all very nice and very, you know, very polite and all of that sort of stuff. You actually got some partisan... Um, you know, barracking and stuff like that against the Australians. And I'm like, yes, getting, because you see it in the men's game. See it in the men's game. Australia drop a catch and they're all, they're on top ears. And that's what started to happen in, in Bristol. And I was like, now we're talking. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to supporting your country rather than going along to watch a game of international women's cricket. You're just supporting cricket. And that was the shift back in 2017. So it was, you know, people will have gone along originally to watch the England women play in the World Cup final. What it turned into was just raucous England support. And that to me is a culture shift. God, it was noisy. I mean, I was going nuts because of the nature of the game and the spell that Anya had the bolt, I'll tell you the secret. I was devastated to be taken off commentary because I was actually, <laughs> you know yourself. It's really selfish, by the way. But looking back, I'd commentated on, I think, three of Anya's wickets. And my time was up, and Ali Mitchell had to, it's Ali Mitchell's time to come in. And I was just like, I don't want to come off here. I'm having a good day. I'm doing well. <laughs> you know yourself, if you've had a good day in your job or if you haven't had a good day. And I was on it. I was absolutely on it. and And I was just like, Oh, I don't want to stop. I want to, I want to carry on. But of course, Ali comes in, you've got to, it, and she did it brilliantly and, and, uh, and stuff. But it was just sort of like, oh, I'm having a good time here. I don't want to stop talking. So it was, again, you talk about seminal moments, but there, it, at that time in 2017, it was the Raw was for England. And that was, again, another shift. We're going to see these shifts and we're going to see these moments in the women's game because let's be honest, I'm not naive enough to say and, and blinkered enough to say that women's cricket started in the last 10 years. No, of course, the history of the game is very lengthy. They're the first one to ever have a World Cup. But in its format now and in its form now, with the uptake of people playing, of women playing and the the nature of the game, it is still relatively embryonic because it is, you know, it's been hit. It started off at a level which was very, it was a sort of, you know, flat line. But then over recent years, the exposure that it's had over the last five, six, seven years has escalated to such a degree that, of course, there's going to be change and quick change and it's going to keep going exponentially. Upwards, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. More exposure, more people taking the game up, better standards, better quality. It's just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. And so these changes that we have seen have actually been huge ones in the space of a short period of time. So, yeah, to answer your question roundabout, it was days, wasn't it? It was brilliant. I loved it. And I'd never heard a noise at Lords like it, which was, again, brilliant.
0: And obviously, momentum is such a big factor in the women's game. Do you think people started to clock on to women's cricket after England won the World Cup? And as a big supporter of women's cricket, what are some of the reasons that have made you enjoy women's cricket?
2: That is a really good question. Why do I enjoy women's cricket? Well, I enjoy cricket. I don't see women's cricket as cricket. I was speaking to my dad about this the other day. My entire life involved in the men's game, I used to play it. You know, I was played all through the juniors and then I, I signed a county contract, played at Warwickshire and Leicestershire and and all of my cricket had been men's cricket. All of the cricket that I'd covered in my formative years at Radio Leicester and then on TMS had all been men's cricket. And when I first started covering the women's game, I think it was back in 2011, 2012, I was like, yeah, great, cool, game of cricket. And I don't differentiate... I'm afraid between the the genders, not in this anyway. In that it's a game of cricket, and I love the game, whatever its format, whoever's playing it, and so therefore it was more to me. It was more cricket, so great. Sign me up. Now, why am I passionate about it? Well, I talk about, or I've talked about the the level of exposure. Why is the game the state it's in now, as opposed to ten years ago, is purely exposure and that is the simple answer to it you get to see it people know about it and you get to hear it on originally it was more on the radio than the television but tv is where it's at girls have got to be able to see it the money that was pumped in by the ecb for professional contracts and things like that you know girls were having to pay to play the game you're like what the what what's way hang on a second you know blokes don't have to do this and the girls needed similar kind of opportunities are they at where they should be right now no and you want to see more money in the game and more opportunity for those to be dedicated to it to spend rather than having a job and playing you want them to to be able to focus on cricket six to 12 months of the year round you asked me about my love for it and where that came from it's a good question apart from loving cricket in all its form i think it's more about the people actually when you get to talk to originally to Charlotte Edwards, to Lydia Greenway, to Sarah Taylor, to all of those players, to Heather Knight, you know, originally in the infancy to speak to those guys and actually have day-to-day dealings with them. And you can see their frustration. And it kind of made me want better for them and to champion the game because I could see where it could go. I could see the abilities of these players, yet could also see where they could be given the chance and the quality of them. And so I, not just get, obviously I love covering the game, but I also could see that where they wanted to go and where they wanted to take the game and their passion for the game and how restrictive it was given the the facilities that they had or lack of them and the lack of opportunities and chances so that's why I got to love the game it was more about the people and the players and they were lovely and you know they adored the game of cricket and it became a sort of little bit of a frustration to me that they couldn't get to where they wanted to be and now what we are seeing is that they have these opportunities to get where they wanted to be and they will get more more money will come in etc etc and we're going to see standards i don't think like i said earlier we're not even tapped into what is potentially out there at the moment and so you know that's been a joyous journey for me to see where it's come from and where it's going to and where it still can go to. And to be a part of that, which I have been for, for, I'm not saying I've just been on the outside looking in, but you feel a little bit part of it. And so that's where my love for the game has come from. Whereas, but I've always been this, I've always said when I will cover the game, but I won't pander to it. If something's crap, I'm gonna say it's crap. And I think that is what the girls wanted. I think that's what the England women wanted. You know, Charlotte always wanted that. You know, when they lost against India in 2014, bless her, sorry, I absolutely nailed her in the interview. That was, I think it was 2014 or 2015, well, was it? And I'm thinking, well, why? You know, the men get nailed if they lose a Test Series or if they've not performed well. And I think it's only respectful to do the same for the women, not to sort of go, oh, I'm lucky, or oh, that was bad luck. No, that was crap. That was poor, and that's my job. My job is that, and I think you undermine the game if you treat it differently. So I've always been very, very straight. It's something, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm fair in both covering men's and women's cricket you know I could walk up to someone who bowls a, a, a short wide long hop get smashed for four, and I can say well that's a poor ball and if I walked up to that person and said was that a poor ball they'd go yeah and I'll go that yeah, right so that's fair you know I'm not saying I was the greatest cricketer I wasn't I was absolute poor in comparison to to a load of the players that are out there now but I was decent enough but I think I've always treated the women's game exactly the same as any other game. And I hope and I like to think that that's what the women within the side respected about me as a broadcaster, that I wouldn't say anything that I, I, that I didn't think. And um, that's my hope anyway. And that's why I've loved covering the game. And, and I have a love for the women's
1: game, And I think that is hugely important because you don't want to treat it like a lesser version. You know, oh, well no. done, you try. These girls and girls, women, whatever we, they want to call called, I'm going to say girls, they want to be at the top level. So they want that constructive criticism. It's not, oh, well done, you played. They want to win just as much yeah. as anyone does. That's why they're out there. And also you're very, you're not quiet about it on social media, which is something I love. And I think that's also been a great way to, boost the women's game on social media and these girls are so accessible on there looking at that as well do you think they're sort of leaving a legacy for the future because we've been able to get so much more in-depth analysis and features around these girls and these players and also the women's game
2: yeah, very much so. And this was, uh, again, a vital part of the progress of the game. And you, you make a really good point. Lots of interesting stories, finding out about the women who are playing, you know, their stories, their program, because a lot of the stories right now, and this is going to happen less so because of the professional nature of it. But a lot of the stories that we're still getting is where they grew up playing boys cricket or they would play with their dads in the, in the back or mums or whatever. And a lot of the players that are still playing international cricket now had stories like that. Whereas in 10 years time, the girls who are going to be play, representing international women's cricket there will have played in women's teams. And because that's what's starting to happen around the country, more women's teams are starting to be developed, women's leagues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So having those stories and the ability to talk and get the personalities of the cricketers, getting them doing bits of commentary and having the podcasts and all of that, you look at Alex and and Kate, uh, Alex Halley and Kate Cross you know, they've got their own podcast going. It's, it's hugely popular. You're getting to see their personality and then people, re- that resonates with people. And if you're resonating from them on that level, then you're going to be interested to see what they've got on the pitch. It also allows you to be shot at. If you're Alex Hartley or Kate Cross and you're you know, appallingly, you going through a bad run of form and people are going to get very double-sided coin there And, you know, for as good as it is in one measure, it can be negative in another. But that is having the ability to learn about and having the access to the women and to learn their stories and to get them out in the public domain has been a huge factor in the rise of the game. And I think it's like anyone, because you feel a connection then with the game and it's great what i love and the men have got a lot lot better during i think it was sort of like the flower era you know the men were closed off they gave you horrible bog-standard answers and real sort of out of the ecb manual answers kind of thing and what danny rubin the england men's press officer has done is sort of basically trusted them they've trusted them to go out and be themselves and be so now you get gold And you actually feel more connected to the England men's team because Stuart Broad or James Anderson is doing a podcast or they're they're doing TV and you feel and they're on social media and they're, you know, and you do feel a much tighter connection to them because of that. And it's exactly the same in the women's side of things. And... Which you know, I you know, I tweet about the women's game on social media because um that's it's my feed, I can talk about what I like and that's what I like. So, you know, I if I think Alice Capsey should get called up for the England, I'm gonna say so. Now I have absolutely no bearing on any decisions that are made, but that's my opinion, and I like having an opinion on the women's game. And I think I have I have a credible one because I see a lot of it. I don't see all of it, you know, I don't know what's gone on that much i try because there's so much cricket to keep a, a track of you know i've got to keep across what's happening in the men's game in the blast in the hundred in the international men's game in the international women's game in the domestic women's game there's so much cricket my god even, i've got to have a day off sometime the nfl season's starting right and i've been on loads of podcasts talking about the nfl it's an absolute passion of mine but i've not had time to catch up with it all because there's so much cricket and soon i'll do that so that, there's only so much you can intake. And I love the people who sort of say, oh, well, you've not watched Expat. Well, no, of course I've not watched Expat because I've not got time to do it all. But I will. And in due course. And this is the this is the great thing, is that you know, I have my opinions and I get to see a lot and a hundred has given us the opportunity to see some of those players every single day that we might not. I didn't know about Nicole Harvey. I hadn't a clue what type of bowler she was. She runs up and lobs it up and gets loads of wickets. Let's learn a bit more about Nicole Harvey. And then we learn about Nicole Harvey's problems with her sickness and illness when giving birth and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful story. So anyway... Talking about the access, yes, I think it has been hugely beneficial to the women's game to learn more about them. I love stories like that, and I like and I like tweeted about it, or just being involved with it. It's great fun. That's what it is. Yeah. It's fun, and fun is fun. Charles Dagnall, copyright. Fun is one.
1: fun. You heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. Fun is fun. fun. You put your opinions out about the women's game, and you say they're your thoughts, your predictions, whatever, so... I'm going to ask you now. Prediction for the World Cup next year: Can England defend that title? Well, yeah, they can. Do you think they will? <laughs> no. Who would you put your money on? Australia. You bet your favorite um, guitar on Australia to win.
2: I would put my favorite guitar, uh, which is see it to my right hand side as you look, or it might be your left. Anyway, uh, I'm pointing to my favorite bass guitar, which is my my Fender Jazz American, and I will put that Fender Jazz American on Australia to win. Why? I think they're better. It's simple as that. I think they are more rounded. They've got more options. They've got more power hitters. I think England are going to run them close. And I think England are the only side that can probably challenge them. But they've just got too much. And the reason I say this, someone, someone asked me the other day, you know, if you had one player to pick in the world right now to just you know, either bat, bowl, field, feel life I don't think, and I don't know, but, you know, people will say, oh, Nat Siva. Oh, yeah, she'd be right up there. Of course she would. But I don't think people who don't know the game as we know the game kind of thing, I don't think people realise how good Meg is. She is a different class of player meg lanning i've never seen you know in the women's game someone that could even come close sarah taylor could technically and quality wise but you would have to argue that consistency for sarah and her conversions from 50s or 30s to big scores wasn't as good as someone like meg you don't get meg out for cheap you're done you're absolutely done and she is just so elite, it's frightening. Obviously, you've got Perry, Ash Gardner, who I love, love Ash Gardner. She's my kind of cricketer. Just goes out and smashes it and doesn't care. I love her. Alyssa Healy, obviously, at top of the order. Mooney and they a side filled with quality. So, yeah, I think Australia will win it. I think they'll win it pretty comfortably, if I'm honest. But the only team that could be semi-close to challenging them would, would be England, I like. think.
1: Yeah, and it'll be exciting next year when we can see those Aussies in the 100.
2: Yeah, totally. I think it's good. I think that'll be brilliant.
1: Yeah. Outside of cricket, between now and then, we'll ignore the guitars and your little partnership with Henry Moran, for which I have tickets to your event, which was cancelled last year, been postponed. So, yeah, you and Henry are going to be rehearsing while you're not doing cricket?
2: Well, so we've obviously COVID smashed up our plans to do, basically we wanted to, because we've been playing guitars, I mean, Henry's ridiculous. I mean, he is so, so good. I've got my guitars up there. I am properly pants. I try hard, but I'm up to, so I'm practicing my grade five at the moment. and So, so I'm not that good, but I reckon I could hold it together for, for, you know, especially playing Because also rock.
1: then when you do grade six, you have to do your grade five theory first, which I hated.
2: Oh God, I'm just, I'm sorry. At the moment I'm trying practicing slap bass and stuff like that. And I'm just, it's hideous. Anyway. So the idea was, basically, we had been mucking around on our guitars together for ages and ages and ages. And we thought, well, if we don't get on stage, we never will. Do you fancy it? And he went, yeah. And I went, yeah. So we thought, well, we'll put on a rock show. And because basically, we we didn't want to make any money out of it. We just wanted to get on stage. It'd be stupid. Now, I'm in a very fortunate position that my brother is a session musician. And is also part of a band called The Deck and Traps. And... His brother-in-law is actually the bass player for Queen right now. So I've got musical context. So what we were going to do was Henry and I were going to put on a rock show and we were going to have proper musicians backing us up, drums, keyboard, and another guitarist. So that would obviously be a great sound and would probably mask any mistakes that I would make. But we wanted to just get on stage and have some fun. And then in so doing, we thought, well, we could try and raise a bit of money for some charity here, just if people want to come along. And have a laugh, know that, you know, we might stuff it up here and there, but put on a rock show. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to put on a latex, you know, spandex clad rock show and be basically stupid on stage. But we wanted to do it properly. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to put on a show. But COVID sort of put paid to that, which was devastating for us. So we couldn't do it the following year. That was, this was supposed to be 2020, we were doing this. 2021, we couldn't because obviously this year no one's been allowed to do anything. Properly like that, so it's looking now, and we literally had a conversation about it a week ago. Now it's difficult because you know I've been with Sky the majority of the summer and will be hopefully, fingers crossed for the foreseeable. He's obviously doing his thing with the BBC, so we we're not together as much anymore. But we had a conversation last week saying, "Do you still want to do it?" And he went, "Yeah." And I went, yeah, so do I. So we're going to be now getting together a lot over the winter. We will let people know when it's going to happen. We've got to sort the dates out with the club, the 100 Club in London. They have been brilliant. And yeah, we were trying to raise money for the Teenage Cancer Trust. Every ticket sold, all the money would go to them so no one would be making a, a bean out of it apart from the charity would so you know you pay 30 pound for a ticket 30 pound goes to, to the teenage cancer trust that was the whole point so whether that happens again whether it's that particular charity or whether it's another one or whatever we were going to get some guests involved they will remain nameless but you know you could probably predict one or two but yeah the intention is to do it my worry is and henry's is that i know i i know i can sing i've sung before live on stage and all of that sort of stuff but what i can't do is play and sing so i've got to practice that a lot henry doesn't think he can sing i think he can so we will be singing which could be a horrific stuff up but who cares But what we're you know we're going to try and get some sort of guest singers on so we can try and play the right notes or i can play and try the right notes but yeah the intention is that it will happen in the summer of 2022
0: so, does that mean that we might see Ebony on the drums after her epic performance in the 100? No comment. Ooh, what
1: a teaser to end on. Love that. With today's quotes from Charles Dagnall no comment regarding Ebony playing with him and Hendry. And don't forget it, people fun is fun.
2: Fun is fun. Remember that, that I'm going to trademark that. Uh, so anybody who uses it, again, will have to pay me royalties.
1: Wonderful. And I think that sort of sums up women's cricket quite well. Fun is fun, but at a very good level.
2: I reckon so. I think that's fair enough, isn't it?
1: Thank you so much, daggers for chatting to us. You Pleasure. Have, you're the voice, one of the voices of women's cricket at the moment, and we love that. And we're really chuffed that you've come on. We've had a nice wag and it's been amazing to hear about everything that you've got up to in the women's game and what the future has to hold for it.
2: Well, I will continue to champion it. I will continue to love it. Um, and, and continue uh, yeah, tweeting about
1: it, please, because I, I love replying to your tweets about it. And some of the people's comments just make me chuckle.
2: Oh, yeah, I love having fun with people. That's, you see, I never resp- I always Here we go, on social media, last bit. I can't be doing with people retweeting praise, right? Can't be doing it. I've had to stop following Alex Hartley because she does it all the time. It winds me up. Because it says to me, right, is that someone, someone says something nice to you, right? And Which is lovely. So reply to them and say, thank you, that's fine. No problems with that. But if you retweet that, you're retweeting to the people that follow you, that this person thinks that you're lovely and you're telling all of the other people that follow you that you're lovely. That's just, I can't be dealing with that. That's just mind blowing to me. So uh, so A, never retweet praise. B, it's always nice when people are nice and I do try and re- respond to people individually as much as you possibly can. C, I respond more to people who are not nice because it makes me laugh more. It keeps me occupied for half an hour. if Some bonehead wants to either slag off the game or slag me off or something like that. Because it's just the most worthless pursuit in the world. Why would you go on? Why would you go on social media to tell someone you don't like something? Uh, it's just <laughs> when you break it down, right? I'm going to be at. I'll tweet something like, "I'm going to be at." Uh, so it's nice to tell people what you're doing. It's your timeline. You can say what the hell you like. Now I'm going to be at. I don't know the Overland Invincibles versus the Manchester Originals women's game on Saturday. Really looking forward to it. Right, i will put that out there. Someone will come back and start saying, say, "Well, you know, I'll not be watching that." Well, why do you respond? <laughs> why are you telling me what you're not going to do? I don't get that. Why do you, what is in people's minds? <laughs> it's, even when you break it down, it's hysterical. Why are you telling me, are you that bitter about, do you know what I'm not gonna do today? I'm not gonna wash my car. Great, fantastic. Why do people wanna know that? Why, I'm not also gonna climb my Everest? I'm not gonna do a variety of different things. Why are you responding to something that I'm looking forward to, right? If you don't like what I tweet, don't follow me, you muppet, right? But why are you going to tell me that you're not going to do, oh, I can't stand women's cricket? Well, then don't watch it.
0: Massive thank you to Charles for coming on and being a guest on the podcast and being only our second male guest after Rob Taylor. It was really interesting to hear Daggers' perspective on the women's game, where it needs to go, and what needs to be done to ensure that we are getting the best talent in the country. And if you want to keep up to date with everything that Charles is doing, he is on Instagram and Twitter as at Charles Dagnall. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat and if you want to give us a like on Facebook we are Women's Cricket Chat if you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow then it's at Hannity1194 at GeorgiaHeath27 at Cassie Coombs 98 and I'm at Alex Pereira on Twitter this has been Women's Cricket Chat tune in next time